everybody. I'm Lisa Brennan. And I'm Justin Trice. Are you a theater nerd or a movie buff? Are you interested in the world of fine art or the sleazy way celebrities break the law? Check out Crime of the Arts, a true crime comedy podcast that peeks behind the curtain to shine a light on the dark and untold truths of the creative arts. From film set mysteries to celebrity murders and art heists, we look past the bright lights to uncover what hides in the shadows. Join us each week when we both bring a surprise story to the episode with our pop culture-ridden sarcastic banter. Tune in every Wednesday to help get you over hump day. Crime of the Arts is available now everywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Peace out, everybody. Peace out, everybody. So as the resident conspiracy lunatic of the Sirens podcast, I've been asked by Raven to share a little bit of my madness with you all. The topics that I plan on bringing to you in this segment fall strictly under myth and legend and will be presented as such, so as to further promote the level-headed logical approach championed by Raven. The information I will be providing to you in this segment is merely that information. I am not a stoic believer in the creatures and shadows I will be discussing, but rather a fascinated skeptic. Welcome to Cryptids Unscripted. Hey guys! (laughs) Greetings all you wonderful listeners. I hope your day is going well. So, what is it? We're almost to Halloween. In this episode. And Raven thought we'd do something a little bit different. Yeah, we're going to do something a little different because we have, we usually do some cases that revolve around Halloween in October. We also like to do Holly's hauntings. Um, and we wanted to uh, do kind of another little supernatural type thing. And so I thought that we should probably talk about myths, legends, and cryptids. And so I have my friend Simon Vaughn with me today, and I have given him basically his own segment called Cryptids Unscripted with Simon Vaughn. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I've i yet to find an aluminum hat that completely fits my rather bulbous <laughs> head. So now, with the, uh, with the disclaimer out of the way, buckle up, y'all. It's about to get weird. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. This, uh, I'm going to try to do this. Um, You know what? We might just do this throughout the season whenever we feel like it. But we're for sure going to do at least one segment around Halloween, around spooky season. Maybe this is someone's first tiptoe into cryptids. So what Ah. exactly is a cryptid? How do you know what a cryptid is? There's numerous uh, numerous definitions of a cryptid, but what cryptid refers to is a cryptozoological creature, which is an actual term, Mm -hmm. mind you. Because there's cryptozoologists. A cryptozoological creature is a creature that is either reported in human history but never witnessed Mm -hmm. by firsthand scientific account, or has been witnessed in some way, shape, or form and can't be explained. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet it displays physically all the telltale signs of a living creature. So like your your basic ones would be Bigfoot. Your Those are your common ones. Or, yes, your common ones would be like Bigfoot and... Um, 
Oh, I mean, South America, there's the chupacabra. Yes, the chupacabra. Because, I mean, there's also Bigfoot in the South. Uh, That's the skunk ape. The Loch Ness Monster. (laughs) The Loch Ness Monster qualifies as a cryptid. Um, The best part about a lot of these things is whenever whenever science does find some of these things that are old myths and legends and identifies them as an equally fascinating, legitimate creature. Oh. Uh, And I don't mean like we suddenly found Bigfoot and it's way scarier. No, I mean things like, uh, case in point, the living rock. Go on. This is a real creature that's from the sea. Endoliths. Endoliths are organisms that live inside rocks or in pores between mineral grains. Mm -hmm. These creatures are thought to have been found in a large range of environments from rocks on the Earth's surface to miles beneath the subsurface. Okay. They develop in cracks and holes in rocks and the ocean and other water environments, and they grow over time. They're mostly uh, filter feeders. But for... A long but time. We, we thought this was not a thing. We for thought a long this time. was an urban legend creature, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But and the best part is, though, scientists have known about them now for a couple of hundred years. But let me ask you a question: Did you know that was a thing? I did not. See, I did not know that that was a thing. And like right now. <laughs> for those of you out there who are interested in this, that is how that is the approach I would recommend you take in looking up cryptids. From the same idea of not necessarily just wanting to discredit Bigfoot, Mm -hmm. but wanting to figure out why the hell there have been so many sightings Mm -hmm. of Bigfoot. Where some of these things come from. For years, we had actually, like even living fossils, the coelacanth fish. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look that that bastard up sometime. That's a fish out of your nightmares. Mm. But uh, the coelacanth was thought to be completely extinct because we had fossils of Mm. coelacanths. Yeah. And yet people were reporting seeing them, and that made no sense, which prompts, of course, dinosaur legends. That big giant fish they found in that river that one time, they were like, oh my god, it's still alive from Um, millions of years ago. I believe so. And it was, like, gnarly looking. Yeah, it's very very armored. Yeah, Um, it was gnarly. It also has weird flippers that look like other fish are attached to it. Oh. Coelacanth. It's either coelacanth or coelacanth. I forget how to pronounce it. But yeah, it's a living fossil. It is a creature that we thought forever was extinct. And they can get as, uh, they, can, they can be as small as about three feet and as large as uh, like 10 feet. Uh, and also, uh, the Mothman is is a cryptid. I think the Mothman it does, is a cryptid. I think it's yes. got its own. The Mothman has literally borderline its own religion. Well, from yeah. how from yeah. how popular it is, <laughs> those events and everything that got tied to the Mothman are fascinating. And for those of you who may be familiar with these things, yet again, don't focus on the monster. Right. Focus on the parts that can't be explained. Right. And then you're searching for a cryptid. Right. Because yes, there's loads of ways to say that there is no Mothman and it had nothing to do with the bridge disaster, and yet, why did so many people on that day? Say they saw something on the bridge. And also, I wanted to take a minute uh, to have you explain, like, basically, your cryptids have nothing to do... They're not demons. They're not... I mean, (laughs) well, I mean, not not your typical... Not your typical... Catholic, I have to exercise it, demon. We're not not talking about... We're not talking about Linda Blair throwing up pea soup here all the time. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes I do. <laughs> but what we're talking about are creatures that are possible, just zoological finds yet to be discovered. But we're also talking about things that are weirder 
than your standard yeah. good and evil. Yes. We started this off with a, no, culturally hardcore well, evil. And, but and a lot of them are creatures that they look like a creature. They I don't know how else very, to explain ex- it. Uh, that it's is, something that you've never seen. It's a creature. Which also falls under general human yeah. hysteria. And yeah. that same thing <laughs> of talking about your brain fills in the blanks. Yes. Yeah. So when encountered with something that you've never seen mm-hmm. in your life, it, specifically, you don't, most people don't actually have the capacity to automatically recognize something in the dark. Yeah. Have you ever seen a deer in the dark? Mm-hmm. By the way, mm-hmm. they're fucking terrifying. <laughs> deer are horrifying looking in the dark. Yeah. Especially because their eyes, their pupils are so big. Yeah. They uh, their eyes are on fire. If you shine a light on a deer in the dark, that is a terrifying horned beast. I mean, even if you find an owl in a tree in the dark, that scared me a million times before. <laughs> and welcome to the Mothman. Yeah. yeah. Today's creature of interest Ooh. is a widely known cryptid in the nightmare zeitgeist of the past and increasingly so in our own time. A monster that has haunted the shadows of humanity for as long as our fire-addled brains have been encouraging us to share our fears collectively. I'm talking about skinwalkers today. Ooh, I'm so ready for this. So, let's start off with this. Raven, when the term skinwalker is said to you, what do you think of? Um, No wrong answers. Okay, honestly, because I don't have... This is why I asked Simon to do this segment because I do not have a lot of uh, background or history or um, any sort of no horror movies and pop culture are also a plus <laughs> okay. and gold star. Okay, so, go so ahead. yeah, we had discussed this previously, and I was like, man, I'm going to be referencing a lot of pop culture. So uh, honestly, the very first thing that comes to mind is Skinwalkers by Stephen King, and that's an excellent one. Uh, that's one of the ones that comes pretty close to the cultural understanding of it for a very specific reason. So you're starting from a better place than most people. Most people literally think it's somebody, I've asked this question of a couple of people before, and they think it's somebody who has skinned a person and are wearing their skin all Buffalo Bill style. What? Really? Yeah. I've gotten that answer like three different times going, that's almost more terrifying than than what they actually talk about. But okay. Yeah. That's weird okay so for those of you who don't know some of you probably are already listening going uh-huh yeah get to it i know what this is <laughs> like others are like where's my where's my murders <laughs> but, I- i'm gonna say some of them have been known in myths mm-hmm. and legends to murder a lot Skin- and we're gonna talk about that so. skinwalkers are fascinating in that regard in, in myths and legends, the basest form of the skinwalker is a person possessing a supernatural ability to change into an animal or animals or a bestial form. Okay. Anthropologically speaking, this is the fun part. This is actually a common thing across numerous cultures beyond uh, where the skinwalker even orig- originated from. It's known as therianthropy. Okay. If that word sounds vaguely familiar to people, I'll say another word that falls under therianthropy. Lycanthropy. Ah, there it is. Okay. In anthropological studies, the study of shape-shifting mm-hmm. is therianthropy. And you will find references to therianthropy in literally every shamanistic culture that has been documented or verbally held in human history. Okay. Going all the way back as far as uh, ancient Samaria. So what you're saying is 
lycanthropy, which is werewolves, BT dubs, mm-hmm. actually falls under the category of skinwalker. Skinwalkers fall into the same category, okay. is okay. what it is, anthropologically speaking. Okay. Therianthropy is the is what is the actual category in anthropological lore as far as shape shifting into anything okay. Okay. is therianthropy. Gotcha. Which includes the uh, which includes the werewolves, which can be found in any culture, literally. If, uh, in Asia, it's actually specifically to a dog, not a wolf. Oh. Uh, in Scotland, there is a legendary werewolf who's a Christmas and New Year's icon, actually, who will visit the houses of good people in the middle of the night as a scary-ass werewolf to bring you presents. Uh... Scotland's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no. Uh, there are where cats in Europe have been forever. See, that's what uh, was in Skinwalkers. Mm-hmm. Where cats? Where cats? Where, they where, weren't like cats. It's, it's more like we're cat people. But anyway, we're going to we'll, talk we'll, about we'll, Stephen King's skin, okay. uh, Stephen King's Skinwalkers. We'll get by to the that. Way. Oh no, we absolutely will because the, he. Though I'll tell you why he covered. He gets pretty darn close. Okay. Um, there's the were lions in Africa. There are were creatures in every myth and legend uh, in human history, and supernatural shape shifting is just incredibly common, and it has been found all over the place. Mythological therianthropy, as in legends or cautionary tales or hubristic encounters of "Don't do that, or you'll turn into a snake." Well, that's everywhere. Okay. It's basically where you'll find myths of the werewolves, lycanthropes, but also it's been speculated to be present in human tradition as far back as Paleolithic pictograms in the French caves at Le trois Fouères, which, for those of you who oh, recognize that, I know what you're talking about. The famous, the famous uh, cave paintings yeah. in France. There are, largely through anthropological research and speculation mostly, there are pictograms in that cave that depict people adopting animal traits. Okay. And those are some of the oldest known human stories on those walls. In truth, any culture that has uh, an identifiable tie to shamanism in their past shares a common myth of supernatural human therianthropy. Well, I mean, even um, ancient Egyptians, most of their gods are some sort of half. You hit the nail on the head. (laughs) When you look up therianthropy, one of the biggest things that will be talked about is not just in myths and legends, but also as worshipable, uh, worshipable icons. Right, okay. Deities are yeah. represented with having animalistic traits right. as well. So, despite the shared history, what isn't always shared amongst these supernatural legends is the nature of these creatures. Okay. While not all are known specifically for doing harm, we're not here to discuss nice critters on this one, especially not today. (laughs) Right. Skinwalkers, specifically those of Navajo tradition, should be considered harmful and extremely dangerous. Okay. We're not... We're not talking a uh, Harry and the Hendersons misunderstanding of Bigfoot here. We're talking like, no, this is a cautionary tale for a reason. Okay. So let's get into the legend. Okay. In Navajo culture, a person who devotes themselves to the healing and betterment of the lives of those in their community are considered to be a medicine man or woman. Okay. Those who would do harm against their own or others through a twisting of these values or a a manipulation of the magics intended only for good or natural order are considered, and uh, and I know I'm going to butcher this because Navajo is the hardest language per capita to ever pronounce. (laughs) 
Antijni. Okay. Those who would do these things negatively are known as Antijni, or a traditionally evil witch. Okay. Your your classic bad shaman. Yes. Okay. When the le- a little bit further though, because did a little research into this, it gets way nastier than your evil shaman. Where it's more, it would be more akin to like an evil. It'd be more akin to like a warlock myth. Okay. Because, well, I'll talk about it. Okay. Within the legends of these evil shamans is where you will find the Yinaldulshi. Uh. Yi Nal Dlushi. Yeah, I double-checked pronunciation several times, and that is the best I can do with my own pitiful mouth. <laughs> Which is why, by the way, I will. there's only one other word that is a cultural word that I will be saying in this, because I don't feel comfortable right. bastardizing someone's language. Yeah. So, a.k.a. skinwalkers are right. the Yi Nal Dlushi. Okay. Now, before also I continue, something else needs to be said. I feel it prudent to express that I will not be delving into as much Navajo culture for a very specific reason. I do not wish to delve any further into their traditions uh, in this discourse because the Navajo have traditionally expressed a severe reluctance and disapproval at any revelatory story or expansion upon their cultural beliefs and histories. Uh, They don't like it as part of the beliefs. They are not really to be shared outside of a tribe. And mostly out of fear of further misrepresentation of their beliefs by non-natives. And there are a lot of natives around where we live. Um, We're like not very far from the Osage Hills. I know all of the Cherokee and everybody. I know they all have their own version of the Skinwalker, but uh, good luck and it getting is, them to talk to you about it because it's just not how they roll. It is absolutely never my intention in any way, shape, or form to misrepresent a culture right. or to ever engage in uh, in cultural appropriation. And since we won't be getting anyone on the show from one of those tribes to talk about, to this. Talk about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> we're treading we're treading cautiously yeah, both mythologically yeah. and practically because right. ain't nobody's myth going to be a prom dress on this show. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, I intend to honor their stance by sticking primarily to speculative discourse and uh, representations of skinwalkers in the modern the modern zeitgeist of horror and cre- mm-hmm. general creepy things. Pop culture. Exactly. Okay. So the current understanding of skinwalkers in the realm of the paranormal enthusiast describes them as men and women guilty of consorting with dark forces and becoming irrevocably altered into a malignant shape-shifting being through the use of various tools and magics. Apart from their supernatural therianthropy, a skinwalker can be identified as a human male or female typically hairier than their fellows and possessing some animalistic physical traits such as a stockier frame or predatory countenance, something you've talked about on this show with serial killers. Yeah, Yeah, for sure, yeah. They are commonly seen wearing the pelt of, uh, of the animal they can transform into, but several myths also claim that they are not limited to just one. Okay. But they will often be festooned by, with an animal pelt. Anybody out there who has ever paid attention to any other myths and legends of any other culture, you may be reminded of the berserkers mm-hmm. in Nordic mythology festooning themselves with the blood and skin of bears. 
and then drinking a very weird concoction of fermented bear urine. There was one, only one time on this show in which we did, in fact, get a, well, we didn't get the interview, but we got to listen, we got to hear a Native man speak about the Skinwalker. Oh, really? I, I just realized this, um, and it was in the Girl Scout camp, um, the, the, oh, the right. Girl Scout murders case. Uh, there was actually it. Go listen to it if you're interested in that because we did a whole. It was the way he described it was basically good shaman versus bad shaman in this whole thing, and um, the suspect was actually they had thought there for a while could could possibly be a skinwalker. Uh, because I didn't realize that was that one committed on tribal land. Yes, um, I'm pretty sure all of it is tribal land because all of the camps, whatever, are named after different tribes, mm-hmm. and it, that's it's. I know it's all tribal up there around it, um, and there's so many tribal members in there that they had to get basically an undercover tribal member in there to talk to people and there was a lot of talk about shamans a lot of talk about um good shaman versus bad shaman and a lot of talk about uh a black dog being seen around the area and that would just disappear before this horrible thing happened and then apparently is could can still be seen there to this day if you're treading on tribal lands. Well, now that's interesting for yeah. other reasons. For that well, would take another episode to yes. explain. Yes. And just shortly, um cuz that's a black dog. Yes, a black dog. It was a black dog. And That's a Mardi Gras. Uh <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's something completely different that still ties into things shamanistically and it's also very weird that they identified it as a black dog well, in this myth. And it was, um, even the dogs, like when they went to search for the suspect, you know, they're searching in the woods and throughout these caves and stuff. And he even explains that the tribal OSBI agent explains that like they had dogs on the scent and then they would get into the middle of a field and they would just lose the scent. There's nowhere yep. for this suspect to go, but up, but up, yeah. right? Exactly. Uh-huh. So anyway, you know, if you want to hear about that, that's the only time, and it's only because it was straight from his mouth. So you want to hear about it, go listen to our Girl Scout um, murders episodes. But anyway. Uh, in this regard, this, it, you'll hear in just a second here, that's, that's very interesting that they specifically ma- mentioned it was a black dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually rather uncommon. Really? Yes. Uh, several myths, like I said, compla- uh, claim that they are not limited to just one animal. Okay. Uh, some legend, uh, some legends depict skinwalkers as also having the ability to. This is where it gets real fun, and this is where you wind up seeing skinwalkers in the modern media as okay. well. Some legends uh, claim that they have the ability to steal faces. Mm. This kind of owes to an older belief in the legend of. That's a similar belief held across numerous uh, myths and legends of never locking eyes with a skinwalker. Okay. The eyes are the gateway to the soul in a lot of old myths and legend. By doing so with a the skinwalker, they have the ability to literally climb into your body mm. and become you. Give me chills. Yeah. <laughs> I literally just got chills. Um, I was thinking about the skinwalkers that are portrayed in Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, they literally do a lot of focusing on the eyes. Like even in the show, you can tell a skinwalker like is on camera because their eyes reflect, mm-hmm. and humans do not reflect. 
but well, uh, except for if you're in extreme stress and you've gone bonkers. <laughs> see the lead, see the famous picture from World War One of the man who had lost his mind in the trenches who has the shine in his eyes. You know what? That's always been a thing too. Is mm-hmm. that I. So- have you ever seen that weird um, short video that was, I don't even remember where it was at. It was like a short TikTok video or something. And it was like, um, humans' eyes don't shine. And it was a human on foot at night chasing someone in a car. And they go fast enough to catch up with them next to the car. And the camera pans over and this human's eyes are glowing. Mm-hmm. I've, and seen, it's, I've seen that one. Yeah. It's like, ah. Uh, we're in danger. <laughs> Just to let you all know, typically human eyes do not reflect uh, normal ambient light the yeah. same way that a cat or dog or owl would. Right. Uh, it has to be more intense light for it to reflect off of our retinas. Right. Which you will see in a picture and not, <laughs> not, in, nor- not in nature. Not in real life. You see it in real life. Be concerned. <laughs> yes, you should be very concerned. Treat them with dignity and don't look them in the eye. <laughs> Other things about the skinwalkers, when in their alternate forms, skinwalkers typically appear as preternaturally white creatures. Really? The oldest traditions show them as appearing as white creatures. As Okay. And I don't mean like I don't mean like going in old like Celto-European myths of like, you know, your unicorn or your white stag or yeah. uh, like a kind of radiant being. Mm-hmm. I mean the other kind of white that is Disturbing that it's white. Yeah. In the case of like bone or yeah, like rock that, that or almost off off white yellowish or ash. Yeah, ash. Yeah. And that's also very important okay. later on. Keep they keep ashes in mind. Okay. Often they are known to display unchar- uncharacteristic or unnatural movements as well. Now comes a fun speculation moment. In their form. In their animal, in their animal form, form? Oh, okay. or even in their humanoid form, okay, okay, they are depicted as being. When you see, just to let you know, the idea behind this is largely equated to if you've seen a horror movie with uh, re- recently, like demons or some kind of poltergeist or something that's doing that whole herking and jerking, and you can't focus on them because parts of them are moving insanely fast, yeah, and other parts look like they're breaking their bones to walk, yeah, that, okay. If I you, hate that, yeah. by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. No one ever wants to find that in the middle of the friggin' woods. No, no. It's like, oh, look, it's a deer. Why is it white? Why are its eyes on fire? Oh, my Why God. is it walking like <laughs> it, 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 it didn't load properly in a video game? Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, That's creepy. Those are basic traits of them. Now, one thing, if this all sounds really freaking cool... And everything as far as monsters go, because as a as a paranoid and as a conspiracy junkie, I have over the years met a lot of people who idolize uh-huh. certain dark and spooky things. Uh-huh. And I'm gonna tell you, <clears throat> probably romanticize if, it exactly. Yeah. If you're humoring the idea of adopting a pro fur stance and introducing yourself as a skinwalker at parties, don't. <laughs> Do not do this. This isn't your weird monster romance story that was really more about domestic abuse. Sorry, that's the reason those stories tick me off. But besides committing cultural appropriation, according to legend, you are inviting disaster (gasps) entirely. 
Skinwalkers only receive their bestial abilities through direct rejection of their humanity. Oh, no. Typically through the committing of a heinous taboo. And I do not mean the, like, just murder taboo. Okay, so, since we're talking about taboos, um, can we talk about the Wendigo? Because I know that at least... This is where they are similar. Okay, because I know at least with the Wendigo... Um, they are transformed by not murder, but actually cannibalism. Correct. Okay. And it doesn't have to be in violence or malignancy. Right. No, it, it is, could just be out of desperation or starvation, but you still do it. Desperation. Yeah. It's the hunger. Yeah. The Wendigo falls closer to the ghoul in right. Celto-European myth. The okay. white. It's the. It's a similar creature. It. It's humanity being at a dangerously desperate point and foregoing your humanity in order to survive well that at its core is literally predation yeah that's predatory yeah skinwalkers in this case are very similar except for one thing they may not be doing it intentionally but they are doing it in a way that they don't care right in other words, it is an act of malignancy, mm-hmm. these taboos. And it's specifically, if you hunt these down, uh, what is some of these, you can find these. But some of those taboos include uh, murder is one thing. Yeah. There's a difference between, though, in many old cultures, there's mm-hmm. a difference between murder and cruelty. Yeah, like like heinous. To, heinous. Heinous murders. As in, you killed a person's family before you killed them. Yeah. You know, that's the basic one. Mm-hmm. The ones that it, this is where I said I would only use one other major cultural word here mm-hmm. because now we're going to tip we're going to tiptoe into what is known as ecclesiati. Okay. Ecclesiati being the penultimate of an evil witch mm-hmm. in this tradition. This is someone who not only committed one of these taboos or a couple, but they largely did it to direct friends and family. These taboos include almost all the crimes you have spoken about in this show. Oh. Murder, cannibalism, <laughs> incest, assault, uh, and just or just generally causing a huge problem for the community that can result in their deaths. That's good. Good, good, good. Yeah. These are the more powerful skinwalkers they're the ones that you will see attributed to also using the tools of the trade of the skinwalker most notably the bone dust the bone dust skinwalkers are regularly attributed to a direct a direct shamanistic thaumaturgy of utilizing one an item of anything of any person it does not have to be their blood it okay. does not have to be their bones or their hair or any. It could literally be a single thread from your shirt. Okay. Because they're that powerful with what they do. Mm-hmm. Then utilizing a combination of a combination of that item, usually fractured pottery. I do not have enough time to go into the importance of pottery in tribal tradition and yeah. what it actually stands for. Yeah. Just uh, just understand that creation is magic, kids. Yeah. A piece of fractured pottery, uh, the item in question, and preferably the uh, occipital plate of the skull and several other smaller bones of infants. Mm. 
Mm. Preferably twins. Mm. Burned together and ground together into a powder that can be utilized for everything from manipulation to causing nightmares to straight up killing you through fright to just torture you psychologically. So spells, spells and magic and hexes and stuff like that. The old school. Old school. The old school kind. More emotive than direct. Okay. So this is, it's really fun there for a parallel to voodoo. Yeah. In certain regards. Okay. Yeah. This behavior degrades their spirit, the skinwalker. And this is what allows them to profanely alter their forms. Things like this. They do not have an issue with these things. The corpse powder itself, which that is the actual phrase, by the way, if you look up myths and legends, is a thing that extends in human history forever. Corpse powder is used in numerous traditions. In I know it's used in, in religions voodoo. and old, old things. Yeah. But, sorry, this is where we're going to get into the darker part. This isn't dark this. yet? <laughs> well, the thing is with this is that... Um, so the only thing powerful enough to sustain these misshapen creatures is what they actually do this for. This is where, I promise you, I mean this as dark. This is going to sound silly, and to anybody who has been listening to this podcast is going to go, okay, sure, whatever, real scary. (laughs) But I want this to sink in as far as when approaching cryptids or the supernatural. Mm -hmm. Wendigos prey on humans. They eat people. Right. That is part and parcel to what they are. Mm-hmm. Skinwalkers do not. They can, if they need to, for something they want to do. Mm-hmm. They can if they also just want to do it in front of you. Mm-hmm. They're the kind that you would turn... They're your... the Hannibal Lecters of the world. <laughs> well, in old literary sense, uh, they're an Earl King mm-hmm. in German mythology. You have a creature that will torture you to the ends of the earth while you're trying to protect your own child, and they've tricked you into not understanding that they killed your child hours ago. Oh, good. That's what a skinwalker does, because what the skinwalker is actually preying on is your fear. Ah. It is old emotional magic. Can we talk a little bit oh, about pop culture right here? Yeah. Okay, because I already have one in mind, and it is one of my favorite, I loved the book, but favorite movies of all time. It. Bingo. <laughs> so that is, I mean, 100% what it is. Exactly. It changes its form constantly to fit the fear of who it's trying to feed off of and that's exactly what it eats is fear period it needs you to be afraid of it yes because that is how it survives now granted mm-hmm. it does it can and does eat you yeah <laughs> but like you said that's only because it wants to in doing that it increases the fear of the rest of Ex- its prey exactly yes correct yeah and that old kind of myth those old kinds of myths and legends yeah. and everything uh, it's weird i told you too it's like you hit the nail on the head uh, earlier talking about uh, the other stephen king story skinwalkers, skinwalkers which for any of you who remember that weird coked out movie and everything yeah. the book uh, was really good it actually hits the nail on the head what's the ickiest part of that movie movie raven can i say that here (laughs) i said the word earlier (laughs) the incestual part of it yes (laughs) that it Uh that is why unfortunately 
that movie is actually kind of an apt depiction. Because it's it's the taboo part. that, And, of course, the murder, but the incest. And, and in that movie, is there ever a moment where they feel bad about their actual actions? Oh, no. The only thing they're ever concerned about no. is just having to move again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they're only... I mean... Just like with with any of them, really. They only get concerned when they it comes down to them getting caught. See, I kind of figured this was going to probably be... Well, anybody who is actually paying attention to this, who is an enthusiast in this regard, mm-hmm. would have already had the moment of, like, get to it. What's the moral? <laughs> what's the parable? What's, the, what's their motive? Yeah. And everything. And the answer is, if I had to put this out there myself... It's why skinwalkers typically find themselves in the upper echelon of considered really bad when you look at cryptids. In other words, they're in the upper tier of um, paranormal threats because they. when you read up on their legends and you study them, there are far, far more dangerous legendary creatures out there. Mm-hmm. It's because, though, there isn't a motive like the Wendigo. There isn't a, a there isn't a genuine normal human understanding or relatability right. to these. These fall under in literary terms. They are technically force of nature villains. Yeah, they can't be reasoned with because there's nothing to reason with. Right. And it it do what it do. <laughs> yeah. There's so much you can't reason. Uh, and that's what makes it so terrifying, though, is yeah. because you can't reason with it. It gets very similar to talking when you talk to when you have those reports of talking to certain psychopaths. Yeah, they have no reason to apologize mm-hmm. because, or they don't. They straight up think they don't. They didn't do anything wrong. Exactly. Yeah. They're just who they are. Yeah. As uh, skinwalkers are creeper or uh, creatures, uh, mis- creepers, <laughs> misshapen. <laughs> they are creepers. <laughs> They're misshapen by their hubris of rejecting their humanity. You'll see a similar note in loads of loads of myths and other creatures, but it's that idea of the rejection of one's humanity willingly mm-hmm. in an action. This is why they are functionally cursed in this idea. They enjoy great power over others but they no longer possess an ability to deny the urge to harm others, making them a terrifying and guaranteed threat. They don't need to eat you to survive. They just need you to know that they can. Yeah. Um, I would, can I reference another Stephen King villain here? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So that got me thinking about, um, we were just talking about it, which was the fear eater and your basic, I mean, your basic skinwalker. Uh, but Stephen King has another villain, and this is one of my very favorite. I have a lot of favorite Stephen King books. He's my favorite favorite. Um, but one of my favorite books of his is The Outsider. And the have you Which read or that? seen The Outsider? Okay, so The Outsider has a lot of characters in it from the Mister Mercedes series. The Outsider is one of these same characters finding something else going on in another town. What it is. Instead of a fear eater, it's a grief eater. Oh. And what it does is imagine if you could commit a crime, commit a murder, and in today's day and age, we're like, well, you could never really frame anyone anymore because with all DNA and evidence and everything like that. 
But imagine if you could commit a crime and frame someone with their own DNA evidence. Oh my. Okay, so take that concept, because that's what the outsider is. I mean, that's a large part of the conspiracies I pander yeah. to, <laughs> yeah. so yes. So so the outsider is a skinwalker, and what he does is he takes the shape of the human by taking, getting their blood, their DNA somehow, and it takes him a while to transform into this human, but when he does, he wreaks absolute havoc. Um, he will insert himself into the family. He will choose a family and then he will kill said family or what his favorite thing to do is kill a child. Ah. And he will sometimes eat some of the child while he is doing this heinous thing and he does other horrible things to the children, torture and stuff like that. And of course, that fear of course he's eating off of that fear but he loves the grief and so when he's done with that he did that as someone else in someone else's skin with someone else's dna he sheds that off he picks someone else he moves on but he sticks around to feed off of to feed off of the grief um he'll feed off of the grief of I mean, he'll go to the funeral. He'll watch. um, Basically, the outsider is, he does this several times, but the big case in it is a child. And he is in the form of a little league um, coach who has his own children. And so when he blames it on this, and these people who he's turning into, it's DNA evidence. It's their DNA evidence. But, you know, there's all this conflicting um, evidence like there will be a uh, a video of them states away, mm-hmm. but their their DNA is at the scene, and he just keeps on that whole investigation. You know how the media eats stuff like that up, and so he feeds off of that until it, there's nothing left to feed off of. The zeitgeist is a truly strong geist, mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, absolutely. That, that falls under the same category of the genuinely don't fuck around with these. Well, and there, there was even another one that he mentioned in If It Bleeds. Um, it's the same private investigator later, and she comes across another grief-eating skinwalker. And what he's doing is he's actually a news um, broadcaster, the ones who go into the field, and they're like, you know, broadcasting live oh. from... And what he does is he goes and goes to tragedies. So it's basically a skinwalker who learned how to cook. Yes. Is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I was about to say. Like, yeah. Because he hasn't, he hadn't got powerful enough to the point of killing anyone yet. Mm-hmm. But what he does is he, he stays to. as that one person for decades and decades so that he can go out and he feeds off of the grief off of the people and around can, this in the tragedy. Meantime, he can promote the fear mongering yes, yes, and, exactly. and the sadness and, we're and talking stir up about, emotions. Like we're talking about stuff like um he went to a school shooting and he was there on scene for that and just eating it up. And you know, so that, that thing that you, uh, that you actually advertise and uh, you know ad, uh, advocate against yes. <laughs> on this show. Yes. Yeah. 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 So no. you know, I think mm. I just realized Stephen King likes skinwalkers. <laughs> I didn't realize uh, there are so, so many of them in his works. Stephen King likes shapeshifters and old yeah. myths. Yeah. Because if you also pay attention to Salem's Lot, 
Yeah. How weird are those vampires? I know. See, that's what I... Yeah. Yeah. Are they vampires or are they actually... Stephen King has actually been on record as admitting um, numerous times his primary influence himself was Lovecraft. Uh-huh. He prefers that which is that which the mind tries to recognize, yeah. but is in fact beyond your capability of understanding. I just love him so much. Which, in my personal opinion, the one that he did that actually capitalizes on that the most is Cujo. Oh, yeah. Because it's a family mm-hmm. pet who is yeah. a very defensive and friendly pet and loves, and loves his family as a good dog would. Mm-hmm. And then you completely lose that with rabies yeah 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 but that kind of tale is exactly what you see in the myths of the skinwalker and what you see in some of these in the upper tier of don't touch Mm -hmm. don't approach yeah and that was the biggest thing in the outsider i mean one little tiny touch yeah uh one guy he got him just by shaking his hand and he kind of like curled his finger while he was shaking his hand and just barely scratched him. Done. That's it. Wrecked his entire life, his entire world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is, that's very daunting. The actual Skinwalker (laughs) myth specifically describes that they don't, they don't need anything other than a single hair or a piece of an item that you once, you once possessed, not actively possessed something that was tied to you in some way, shape or form that you interacted with. They can curse you or just hunt you forever. And that's why the skinwalkers exist in that parable state, that hard parable state in cultural myths of This is not a cryptid to be pursuing because it's not a life to be pursuing. This is something that is supposed to be ostracized and is evil. Now, the difference, just really quick, Mm -hmm. the difference in, now I know this, but for for the listeners who maybe aren't into this and they're going, ooh, this is really interesting, I want to dive more into this. So real quick, what's the difference in a skinwalker and a werewolf? A skinwalker and a werewolf, um, while they both fall under therianthropy and everything as shapeshifters mm-hmm. in the first place, they both also morally fall under the same tales of someone's humanity leaving them as they convert into a more bestial form. Right. Um, then you also have to watch out for uh, the various werewolf myths that are out there. The traditional one that everybody is largely familiar of, though, with lycanthropy would be the uh, traditional... The traditional European uh, German myth, I believe, uh, it is either Celto, it's either Celtic or Germanic uh, in origin, as far as the traditional werewolf. But one of the primary differences that you see in a werewolf and in most werewolf stories is that werewolves are. It just depends because the original the original legends of the werewolves can show them as being genuinely no, they're fine with it. They're, yeah. be- they're beasts, they're murderous, they enjoy it, and they yeah. enjoy hunting and killing uh, men and women. Well, th- but then there's also the curse. Right. Idea. Okay, and yes, and that's what I wanted to talk a little bit about was the, the curse idea. Because in some myths that I've heard, shamans are the ones that cursed, that bestowed the werewolf curse in the first place. Oh, and that one is in loads 
of media and other stories mm-hmm. too. And yes, that is well, that is a folk tale and legend that you will hear of in different cultures. I mean, going back on your love of Stephen King, thinner. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do not and off- even silver bullet. Do but- not. Yeah. Do not. <laughs> off- do not offend an old Romany uh, person yes. ever. <laughs> it's like don't do that. Yeah. It's not cool. It's not a good idea. Don't no. ever do that. But. It's one of those things that that's part of those cautionary tales and those ideas of expressing hubris, um, behaving like a beast, and then you are a beast. Yeah. And that's where you see these creatures, and they're interesting parallels to draw to your own cases that you work on on this yeah, show. they really are. The yeah. idea of, was someone forced to reject their humanity mm-hmm. due to actions committed against them, and that's the only way they could survive, versus... right someone who was born that way right and so like with the curse the the thing that you hear the most okay um there are a lot of rules that seem to go with werewolves uh yeah the the silver thing is a later addition yeah way um the typical werewolf ancient werewolf myths are identical to vampires they're Mm -hmm. the same it's the same creature, It's the and it is very much, very similar to a skinwalker okay. as far as how they go. Um, they are, either they died and their body was taken over by an evil force, or they committed some heinous atrocity, either in life and then they were cursed, or they died from the atrocity and they came back in this case. Uh, but every single major story about them is, when you break them down, it is about a hubristic punishment and yet, they themselves don't actually experience too much of a punishment because they are no longer caring. Right. And I was just about to say, one of the biggest things about it is that, you know, what happens, um, a lot of it is that it only happens on a full moon when they turn into a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And that when they turn into a werewolf, they are animalistic, they are unthinking, they, so, I mean, really, they just savagely attack whatever is closest to them, so on and so forth. And so, yeah, there's really no... I mean, the biggest, I guess, um, the biggest thing would be you waking up tomorrow and you've accidentally killed your entire family. Yeah. But then again, what did you do to get cursed in the first place? Was it a curse placed on you specifically, or are we going with the old standard of, well, you have to get bitten by a werewolf? And you see, in that, that itself can be considered, uh, I know that I've actually seen discourse on this one before, of talking about the bite of the werewolf, yeah. the infectious side of that is actually more of a cautionary tale for pandering to inhumane acts. Mm-hmm. In other words, turning a blind eye at suffering in the streets or casually just being an asshole, mm-hmm. as in punching somebody or killing animals or yeah. things like that. They, when you get into a lot of these old cryptid uh, stories and everything, every single one of them is some kind of hubristic nightmare. That's be that's some form of justice being meted out. So I wanted to also bring up um, in in a lot of pop culture references. Oh, pardon me, with one exception, which is there's a German myth that was turned into a lovely opera called uh, Der Freischutz, the Magic Huntsman. 
Okay. The, in that story, it's kind of hard to tell who the bad guy is, actually, because uh, you have on one side a magic huntsman who uh, is ca- who has a rifle that is magical. Uh, he can make the bullet go anywhere he wants. It's an old musket, and mm. he can make the he can make the bullet go anywhere he wants. On the other hand, you have a dark sorcerer who is depicted as a werewolf, mm. and it's about those two hunting each other. But the werewolf. Uh, throughout the story is regularly depicted as not being such a bad guy. No. Yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting opera uh, to look up. De Freischutz is a very interesting story. Weird. Yeah. But it it is also clearly established that the werewolf is a monster (laughs) the whole time. It will still eat people, but it's not really mean about it. Well, and I think that's a theme that we see a lot with werewolves is the fact that they themselves, sometimes as humans, maybe they have come to some sort of redemption when they're in their human form and they go as far as to lock themselves up or, you know, whatever when they're going to turn because it's still their curse of Mm -hmm. whatever it was that happened, whatever it was they did. But they've met some sort of redemption. They're actually pretty good people now. <laughs> but in as such also as Little Red Riding Hood was, I was just about as to, Little Red Riding Hood was, was a cautionary up. tale against sexual assault. Yeah. Um, the ideas of the werewolf too, it's like, and as an investigator yourself and mm-hmm. as an EMS professional myself and also just living in this state, yeah. Raven, what's it like when there's a full moon in Oklahoma? It's fucking wild man (laughs) it's going to be a headline is what it is well i mean every single first responder that i know and i know a lot of first responders literally go oh my god it's gonna be a full moon please don't let me be on the schedule tomorrow (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that has never changed in human history it's like there's something about a full moon there's something that just in humanity that makes us act crazy under a full moon. I purposely pander to the idea that all uh, terrestrial creatures are full of liquid <laughs> and the uh, the moon is our primary water jiggler. Well, you're not wrong. And it, it just makes us feel weird. Could be something with it. I mean, Which, I'm just saying. When people feel weird, a lot what is the first form of human discourse that we take on weird how many people automatically go to the doctor when they feel weird not a lot of them most people deny yeah and yeah denial there's nothing wrong with me denial (laughs) of feeling weird inevitably causes someone to try to violently disagree with someone that there's nothing wrong with them yeah yeah there you go i know and thus (laughs) werewolves (laughs) and another thing that i wanted to bring up was um in modern pop culture uh, let's say like um, Twilight, or Twilight. or even um, like the Sookie Stackhouse books. Ooh, yeah. Um, so a lot of those things depict the werewolf actually transforming in its transformed state is a wolf itself, correct? And and that is actually a, a skinwalker. skinwalker. That correct. is not. A werewolf. The anthropomorphized version of a werewolf largely did not manifest until more around the 1800s uh, in popular in popular culture of the era. Yeah. I mean, Bram Stoker did a lot for horror, okay? Yeah. It was like, I mean, hell, if you actually go back and read Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm-hmm. Dracula is less of a vampire as you recognize them to be and more of a skinwalker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... 
just keep that in mind. Like when you're seeing stuff like that, that is more of what a skinwalker is. Your werewolves are the big man, like truck sized humanoid with the giant wolf face. And yeah, can I just say, I don't want to spoil anything for you because Mm -hmm. uh, another pop culture reference. I I don't want to spoil anything for you because we're going to eventually play this together. Um, but you talk the, about until dawn. No, I'm going to no. talk about the quarry. Oh, okay. You're not going to like what they look like. I'll just okay. tell you that right now. <laughs> All right. Okie dokie. <laughs> Okie doke. That is not now. Granted, it uh, there are some liberties to be taken because this is these things have been done so many times over and over again that sometimes if you want to visit that good old vampire story or that good old werewolf story you feel like you need to change it up somehow you feel like you need to do something different Mm -hmm. and and that's fine if it's your story you do what you want yeah but i'm just saying like i said i don't have a problem with the vampires (laughs) sparkling i have a problem with domestic abuse right (laughs) right um whatever they're super pretty that's what it is (laughs) sure okay whatever uh, I actually have a lot of issues with the quarry, but uh, we'll get to that. I'm sure I eventually want to do, um, we're, st- we're starting a new, um, a different new podcast where we can actually have some fun with, <laughs> instead of just talking about dreary stuff all the time. Um, but we're starting another one, I crit you not, and we're probably going to do some like gaming reviews and stuff like that. And so we're for sure going to review that at some point in the future. Fantastic. But, but just so you know, everything in it is horse shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So speaking of the quarry, uh, I want to kind of backpedal a bit to Until Dawn. Okay. This is another one that you haven't played. We're going to play it's this. It's okay. I know most of the game. Well, we're going to play this one together probably this winter because it's a really great winter game, winter horror game. Um, the Wendigos in it are great. The, the images I loved, I've seen of them are genuinely terrifying. I loved that game. I love all all of their series after that, um, the Dark Anthology series, and they did a great job at the depiction. They are truly terrifying, and it is what I feel like um, it's the closest in mythology that I can find because they are kind of considered skinwalkers. Let me ask you a question about them because we're going to talk okay. about Wendigos. Okay, yeah, I'll just bring yeah, this yeah, up. we're going we're going into Wendigos again now. <laughs> First and foremost, Wendigo myths are kind of interesting because they are there is a clear line of demarcation between two very different types of Wendigos. There are the Wendigos that are very much like that game mm-hmm. that look ghoulish yes. and very yeah. much like the old European white of a creature that has consumed human flesh and has now consumed themselves of the hunger to consume human flesh. Ghoulish, that's the word I was looking for. Yes, ghoulish. Then there's the older myth um, that if you see a Wendigo and you can see their feet, they're not a Wendigo. Wendigos leave no tracks because they do not actually have feet. What? They walk as if they don't have... They walk as if they have feet, but they have no feet. They do not interact with the ground. What? And they can be anywhere from 7 to 15 feet tall and hide amongst the trees. And they're often depicted as well as having massive deer antlers. Oh. 
Really? Oh, yes. There's two very different paths that the Wendigo myth takes, uh, depending on which tribe is telling you the story of the Wendigo, and and also how it has that uh, tribe's story has adapted over the years. But the only thing that is unique amongst that is that at some point, the Wendigo, wherever it came from, was either a man or a woman who gave in to the hunger Mm -hmm. and ate of human flesh. There is a really, really, really great depiction of it. Now, granted, it didn't have antlers and it didn't not have feet, (laughs) but... Uh, I really liked the depiction of it because, let me just tell you what it was in. Have you seen, it's an old show, it came out probably in 2000, late 2000s, it might have even been earlier than that, it was called Fear Itself. I've heard of it. Um, I have it Mm-mm. on DVD. It literally had one season. I was so sad. It's It was like the very first kind of anthology series where they did something different but anyway, they had an episode in there. I think it's called The Hunger, but it's a Wendigo. So it's basically, it starts with um, this ranch in the mountains. And uh, they have this family running this ranch. They have a ranch hand who is, in fact, a, a Native American. I can't remember from which tribe because I can't remember where this takes place at. But I want to say it was like some sort of mountain range, Appalachians or something like that. Um, but anyway, so the ranch owner is taking a bunch of people out to um, sightsee along along this trail, whatever, and they end up getting stuck in the mountains for a couple of weeks, and he ends up being the only survivor. Dun, 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 because he mm-hmm. ate them all. Yeah. <laughs> but, and when he gets back, it gets so terrifying. Uh, it, the guy who plays it. The show is starting to sound really cool. Doug Jones. Oh, God. He was the one. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I know Doug Jones. He was the one yeah. who played um, Billy, mm-hmm. the zombie guy in, yeah. in Hocus Pocus. Mm-hmm. He's been in so many things where they. Uh, like, Doug, Doug Jones is yeah. a, a master of. He's a master yeah. of uh, the makeup arts. Yes. He currently plays Saru on Star Trek Discovery. He was pa- he was the uh, fawn in Pan's Labyrinth. Yes. He was in The Shape of Water. He's also he was in the- John Dies at the End, but... Yeah. <laughs> it's like- um, and he is the aquatic guy in Hellboy. Mm-hmm. I forget what... Abe Sapien. Abe. Abe Sapien. Yes. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, he is the main guy in this story. And... Oh my God, he looks fantastic, number one. They did this thing where they kind of like um, retract, you know, because he's been he's been in the mountains for so long and he's only been eating humans. He has been using snow as water. Mm-hmm. And so he's so like sunken in I'm gonna, and he looks so like... I mean, you know, that's actually what he looks like in real life, right? I, uh, it No, it's even... I understand okay. that. And I, like, think, I think that's why they chose him. Well, that's why he's such a good makeup uh, specialist yes. is because he has those he's ridiculous like a, cheekbones. He is a rail and he can do any of that, but he just looks so fantastic and they gave him... Um, on the tips of his fingers and the tips of in his frostbite frostbite they gave him frostbite on the tips of his fingers and, and on his feet and so everything is black 
and like his his like gum line is recessed like it's just so creepy and all he does really for the first little half of that is lay in bed and be creepy as fuck that's all he does and you're like okay no one wants to go in the room with this guy because he hasn't told anybody his story he hasn't told anybody what happened up there and then like sheep start dying and something has eaten the sheep overnight and then their pigs start dying and something's eaten the pigs overnight and then it goes bigger the cattle are going down now the horses are going down and then it gets to the point where he obviously has nowhere to go um and he needs to sustain himself so he goes after the family and it is so like oh my gosh it just gives me chills you really need to watch it um it's called fear itself there's it has a lot of great episodes but that one is really good on the other side i actually have a weirdly enough a favorite wendigo movie oh really yes I love it, anything Wendigo. I don't know. That's like one of my favorite cryptids. It's because of how I uh, how I approach this too. The idea of what's the actual story or meaning behind these creatures. Yeah. Because this one, there's nothing really supernatural, blatantly in it. It's because it is a tale of hubris. Yeah. It's a tale of desperation, and it's a tale of human morality. And the way that it's depicted just gets worse and worse and worse. Oh. It's a movie from the late 90s, anyone who ever saw this, called Ravenous. You know, I've heard of that, but I've never actually watched it. I'm going to have to put that on my list. Ravenous is about an American cavalryman who is uh, basically sent out uh, during westward expansion, a.k.a. Manifest Destiny, mm-hmm. uh, to a far northwest uh, outpost. And... He is a troubled man. He is an insanely troubled man, but he is a war hero from the. He's a war hero from the uh, from I believe it's the Spanish American War, mm-hmm. um, because he's a survivor of the conflicts with Santa Ana. He survived. Well, actually, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Tell you the truth, okay? But I'll just say that the underlying principle of this movie is there are so many times that you expect you kind of expect to see a monster in this movie. And there is never a direct monster. There is, however, some weird credence given to cannibalism. It's really, it is a very bizarre film. And it pertains directly to the myth of the Wendigo. Okay, I'm going to have to watch that one. Yeah. Ravenous? Ravenous. Okay. Um, It is a very strange horror film that is not your typical cannibal hillbillies in the mountains kind of situation. Yeah. But it is the same idea. It's a lonely outpost and people going crazy. Okay, and that's another thing. Um, is this, is the Wendigo thing just something that happens in mountainous areas, like in mountainous wooded areas, or is this a, is it a forest thing? Just like like every shaman. Or or is it like Native American land period? Just like every human culture has a uh, therianthropic myth about shapeshifting and skinwalkers, Mm -hmm. every single culture has a cautionary monster story about cannibalism. Right. We all have a story. It can happen anywhere. We all have a cryptid and monster out there that is tied to cannibalism. So, basically... 
extreme environments and any yes. place where you could starve yes. is where you will find That's what I was about to is say. is where you will find cannibalism induced cryptids. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's checking out now because remote islands yeah. stuck on a boat okay. up in the mountains so stuck it, in the desert. <laughs> so it could definitely happen in the Bahamas. Absolutely, if you get humanity, stranded on an island. Humanity has known for our uh, four hundred thousand something years so far, and whatever we've been before, that uh, if we get to a point that we don't have food, we'll start eating each other. Yeah. <laughs> that's the actual yeah. moral. Yeah, and of course, you know, werewolves take place just about everywhere. Um, skinwalkers mm-hmm. take place just about everywhere. Exactly. So, it's the same. And that's the cool thing about these kinds of cryptids. The ones that are hard tied to a legend rather than just a modern urban legend. Right. That's the really fascinating thing is that these are clearly cautionary tales based on an experience. Right. So, yeah. With skinwalkers and others and other things like that, that's pretty much, pretty much what I approach. Because anything else... We would have to, unfortunately, traipse a little harder right. into Navajo tradition, and I am not comfortable doing that. I think we've done a pretty good job yeah. so far, actually. Um, as far as this goes, though, I can recommend, uh, if you want to be genuinely, if you if you favor yourself a, uh, hap- a pleasantly cynical skeptic like myself, um, or if you also just want some surprises, Skinwalker videos on YouTube... Are <laughs> very fun. There's there are skinwalker videos out there. You don't look for the ones that are literally labeled skinwalker. It's mm-hmm. usually the ones going, Did I just see a skinwalker? Yeah. Those are the best ones. Because and if your first two comments are someone saying meth is a hell of a drug, you know you found the right videos. Oh no. Because as an EMS professional, I can tell you now, even in my limited time being an EMS professional. I have seen the amazing spectrum <laughs> yeah. of meth-induced mutations that occur in the human body. Yeah. And the best ones are once you've witnessed those things and you see the videos, and no drug explains what you just saw. Yeah, you can clearly see the difference in, in, in especially exactly. how their bodies are moving. And another thing, just to warn you, if you do get into looking up cryptid stuff, don't discount bad camera footage. Yeah. What you discount is if it says it was just released a year ago and it's right. like shot on a cell phone from 1998, yeah. you, that's that's garbage. <laughs> if it's just shaky and incapable of focusing, that means somebody was actually scared. Yeah. Yeah. And that's you'll you start learning to recognize when someone was legitimately terrified mm-hmm. versus when somebody is pretending to be terrified. Right. Yeah. There's a deliberate shake that they do versus the oh god sudden reaction. <laughs> that kind of wraps up our our skinwalkers for cryptids unscripted. <laughs> if you enjoyed this, which I did. I enjoyed talking about it. Um, And I enjoy a little change up, especially around spooky season. If you enjoyed it, let us know. Um, Let us know what maybe kind of cryptid you want to hear about next. Absolutely. I adore tracking down any form, especially cultural ones, like local uh, uh, local, uh, creatures that have a specific lore to them. Those are the best. 
that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, we will for sure do this again in the future. We might do it at spooky season. We might do it before spooky season. We might do it whenever we freaking feel like it. And absolutely, <laughs> send it. Send in your myths, legends, favorite cryptids, and everything. Yeah, if you want to hear about one, let us know. I am going to warn anybody who gets uh, who gets smart alecky and tries to push Bigfoot. <laughs> you are not going to like my opinion on Bigfoot. I know. I, not I, for the reasons you think. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is Oklahoma. We have a lot of Bigfoot uh, enthusiasts around here. And when I know that that's like the prevalent thing in in the area is the thing that I oh, seem don't to get want to stay away from the most. Don't get me wrong. If people demand, <laughs> if, people, if people send in a demand that we talk about Bigfoot, I will talk about Bigfoot. <laughs> and I will tell you, it's not going to go the way that most people want it to it's just it but yeah absolutely send us your requests um you can join our facebook group the sirens podcast group um and a request there you can send us an email you can get on our website and contact us don't forget to check out the merch store where we'll be selling sirens aluminum hats (laughs) from now on (laughs) i might actually put some cryptids unscripted shirts in there you don't know (laughs) raven made me a very delightful shirt that is adorable i love it i love every part of it it. (laughs) so yeah thank you guys for listening uh, to us. I hope you enjoyed this. Thanks, Simon, for coming and explaining cryptids. Anytime. With any other ones, it's going to get even weirder from here because skinwalkers, while in while fascinating to talk about, in my personal opinion, are some of the most basic yeah. cryptids. Okay. There are way crazier cryptids well, out there. I requested skinwalkers this time because skinwalkers are my favorite, obviously. I have a lot of pop culture references that, you know, have kind of built my brain around skinwalkers and it's there's nothing wrong with that. They are one of the absolute best also to introduce. Yeah. If you want to introduce the concept of a monster and an animal at yeah. the same time that has a cultural legend, yeah, that's that's it's, really one of the best. It's one of the easiest to understand, um, and it's one of my favorites. So I wanted to do that one first, but you can absolutely influence what we do next. And uh, if you don't, then I'm going to let Simon choose. <laughs> if you guys give me the steering wheel, it's going to get weird. <laughs>